Let's try that. <laughs> yes. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here this evening. We wish you the, the most merry of Christmases and, uh, and experience this evening of Christ being uh, born new within your life. Just a quick request, please. Uh, it's seldom that we have whole families together. So if you would take just a moment and fill out the connection card saying that you were here with us this evening, that would be a great gift. And secondly, I know it's really tough, but on silent night, we're gonna stay seated because it saves a lot of hair. <laughs> Safety and cleanup. Uh, so it just, it's just safer that way. So I know you will be tempted to rise, but if you would, please remain seated. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, we celebrate this holy night. We open our hearts and our minds wide for your spirit to blow among us. Set the light in the sky for our guidance and allow us to find you and worship the babe, our newborn king. Amen.
To worship. A mother and a father finally find rest in a barn. The Christ child is coming. Angels sing and shepherds run. The Christ child is coming. The stars shone bright and the wise men began their journey. The Christ child is coming. This evening we joyfully light the Christ candle, remembering the night when God's extravagant love came to us in the gift of a child. God loves us. Thanks be to God. The Christ child is here. Will you rise as you are able and sing, O come all ye faithful.
Please be seated. Our first lesson from Genesis. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to him and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And to the man he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. First is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Let's join in singing, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus.
Our second lesson from Genesis 22. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. Let's join in, O come, O come, Emmanuel. lesson from Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time onward and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The chosen ones of God are waiting. Promises and prophecies are all they had had for 400 years. Reality has blurred their vision, and ritual has become their anchor. It was a poor substitute for a Messiah, but it was all they had. Yet everything must be fulfilled that was written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, everything. 
This night, we are called to listen as never before. Disappointment and disillusionment are about to be eclipsed by a single word. That word, hope. The greatest news they could imagine is about to descend on them. The glory is soon to be revealed, for hope is never lost to God's people. from Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, 
for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let us take a moment as the music is playing to center our hearts now for a time of prayer. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are your names that we hear from the prophet Isaiah. God, you are all of this and so much more. It's hard to capture in words just how to describe you. For you are God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. You are tender, loving, merciful, comforter, and forgiver. Your grace wraps us up and tells us that we are loved no matter what. Our love for you stretches beyond any words we may have. On this holiest of nights, remind us in deep ways that we were created to be reflections of you. Remind us that in your humility and vulnerability, you walk alongside each of us, and we are called to do the same for others. Soften our hearts tonight, O oh God. Help us to fall asleep singing the song of your love. Press this deep into our spirit so that when we wake in the morning, we see Jesus everywhere. As we see Jesus, may we respond by being Jesus. People who are full of patience, compassion, justice, mercy, and grace. We pray all of this in his holy, tender, merciful name as we now join our voices together saying the prayer that he taught us, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Stony Brook Church is a church who is deeply committed to working with uh, missional partners. This year's Christmas offering is going to three mission partnerships that we currently have. Our Christmas offering will be supporting Helping Haitian Angels, our McCurdy Ministries, and the three different prison ministries that we support. We are very, very thankful that you are here, and for whatever you are able to give this evening, your gifts will go to support those ministries. Would you join me in prayer? Oh God, for these gifts that we offer to you, we give you thanks for the ways that you have first blessed us. May you now take these gifts that we are offering back to you, bless them, Multiply them, and may each person who comes to receive them know of your great love in their lives. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will our ushers wait upon us?
The fifth lesson, Mary, mother of Jesus. Imagine the night the angel Gabriel announced to the Virgin Mary that she will give birth to God's promised son, whose kingdom will never end. How could this be? Mary, even in her shock, would say, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. In haste, she went to the home of her cousin Elizabeth. Then, then it was made completely clear. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and blessed is she who believed. Mary would be grateful for the months of preparation following the angel visitation. This overshadowing by the Almighty would transform not just her body, but her heart. Though she had always been turned toward the Father, these were days that Mary felt his nurturing love so profoundly that her heart ached. Slowly, subtly, and surely a mystery occurred. In the empty space, she yielded to the Father's plan for her life. The Almighty had always been her shelter. Now, in a moment, an unimaginable gift was hers. She became shelter for the Almighty. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
The sixth lesson. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world would be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing good news of great joy for all the people. To you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in a manger. Shall we join in our next carol?
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock, our very strength, our redeemer. Amen. In the first 1,200 years of Christianity, the greatest celebration in the life of the church was Easter. The week beginning with Palm Sunday up through the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday to the crucifixion on Holy Friday and the vigils of Saturday in mourning, awakening to the explosive joy of resurrection. Easter was the pinnacle of every Christian's faith experience. But that changed in about the 13th century when a person new in the faith family emerged by the name of Francis of Assisi. Francis set the church to pondering the gospel story with a new lens from a brand new angle. Francis sincerely felt that we didn't need
to wait to understand God's love for us by getting to the cross and crucifixion. In fact, he believed that God's love and forgiveness started the very minute that Jesus was born. That moment when God's love becomes flesh, when God takes on a body for this simple purpose of showing us what love looks like, that moment, he said, was nothing but grace. Why? Because Francis believed that grace and forgiveness started in the manger. He understood deeply that if God had become flesh and taken on all of this humanity, that the problem of human sin had to have been solved in that beginning moment. Because the gift of God's loving coming to us had to come without merit. It came without confession from us, without our asking. It was pure gift, pure grace. Why would you wait on Jesus' death and resurrection to start living into this gift? when for what Francis believed love was born on Christmas Day. Francis would then go on to give us the foundation of Christmas as we practice it today. All the festive celebrations emphasize basically the goodness of Christ, how God in Christ has made humankind for a higher purpose, we're made to be great in that image and contain within us that God spark that makes being on this earth a creative, crazy, wonderful thing where it's just plain good to be real and to be a part of the creative family of God. It's no wonder then that Francis went a little wild around Christmas. He believed that every tree needed to be filled with the light that shone in the heavens the night of Jesus' birth. And that's why we string lights in Christmas trees and on our homes for the past 800 years. It was to him the beginning of the recreation of God's people in love and grace. So why, my friends, is it hard to hang on to that magic, the mystery of Christ being right here among us? How do we keep this gift from being packed away or worse yet, returned the day after Christmas for something that we imagine somehow might fit us better. Richard Rohr says, regrettably, the history of almost every religion begins with one massive, massive misperception. 
we've decided to make a fatal distinction between the sacred and the profane. Many a religion puts great emphasis on creating exclusively sacred places, churches and synagogues and temples. On sacred times, Christmas, Easter, Hanukkah, sacred activities, communion, baptisms, bar mitzvahs. Now, while all these distinctions help us pay attention to the high sacred moments of life, it unfortunately leaves the majority of life defined as common, not sacred which, my friends, is categorically untrue. It is so easy to think that this world is a terrible place going down the pipes and getting worse by the day, especially if we're always watching the news. Don't we sag under the everyday reality with its struggles and its pain? It's no wonder that without a God lens, a God finder, life can be hopelessly exhausting. So maybe it's time to take a Francis view of the world and look at the package that God gives us of Christmas. Shouldn't we open it, waiting no longer No more trying to go it alone. No more thinking we've got to somehow prove our worth first. Would we this night be willing to risk imagining taking seriously that God is present with us? Present to us in every aspect of our lives even alive within us. Francis points us to a deep truth. With God's arrival, God promises to be in you and you and God and you and everything that is ordinary and everyday too. And yes, God may even be found, maybe especially found, in the problematic. There simply is no place where God is not. Think of it the way Mary might have when she is described in these words, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There are no less than 13 instances in our scriptures of pondering. What does that mean? Well, it means to consider, to mull, to
to contemplate, evaluate, deliberate, reflect, examine, weigh, speculate, brood, daydream, debate, study, and muse. Excuse me. Could the key to Christmas really be our willingness to ponder this new reality as Mary did? Emily Miller, when you sang Mary's Hope the other night, I heard a line in that song that I had never heard before. Did you catch it? It's near the end of the song where Emily sang, thank you, God, for our son. Did you hear that? Our son. Now, I have no insight into the writer's intent in writing the phrase in the way in which he did. Is the our son Mary is referring to uh, a thank you to Joseph. But Joseph is not this child's father, is he? Is Mary really thanking God for the relationship that they have in which a holy and divine child could be conceived and brought to this world? It's worth pondering, isn't it? Hear this. Mary gets it when she holds it in her heart. This child, Jesus, was hers and God's, no matter how you stack it. And tonight we arrive at that stable to marvel at this sweet child. But I want you to know, I marvel at Mary, whose simple yes continues to be the defining characteristic and desire God has for every Christian in every time. Ponder for a moment that God would birth something in you. Mary's kind of holy cooperation, seeing the God-sized picture means that she is open to the risk. A young woman not married, carrying a child, she risked not only her reputation, she risked literally her life and her future. And yet, doesn't faith and wisdom depend on this one simple concept? We have to get out of our own way in order to see and participate in God's bigger picture. Mary got it. Considering, pondering, recognizing, mulling that we are seamlessly and indivisibly connected to God and to all living things, especially to the entirety of humanity, to everyone, to those past, those present, and those to come. We are all connected to God's creation 
having to acknowledge that, my friends, is a risk. Holy cooperation recognizes that we are a God-child and a member of a humanity in which we are deeply worthy and deeply responsible. It's the foundation of our relationships. Have you tried to have one? These relationships are risky if and when we get together and realize that there's holy stuff going in and around us. Ponder this. On December 2nd, there was a Basque uh, athlete running in northern Spain in which it was a cross-country race. He is running a second against a uh, race leader, Abel Mutai, I hope I have not ruined his name. He's a bronze medalist in the 3,000-meter steeplechase at the Olympic, uh, uh, London Olympics. In other words, these two guys have wings. They are entering the straightaway of the race, and Yvonne sees that the Kenyan in front of him is beginning to pull up. And as he pulls up, he realizes that this guy thinks he's crossed the finish line. Now, he knows that he could run right past this guy and finish the race first. And yet he refuses to do it. He comes up, closes the distance between them, runs behind him, and points the way to the finish line so that the Kenyan finishes first. Ivan, 24 years old, is considered an athlete with a great big future. And when asked about his decision to hold back, he said this, even if they had told me that winning would earn me a place in the Spanish team for the European Championships, I wouldn't have done it. Ivan rightly recognized that his name who he is as a person, who we are as God's people, is at risk when we forget the holy within us and the other. It's Christmas and Holy Week. It's resurrection and baptism. It's communion and the stuff of life all put together in some holy cooperation where risk invites us into the power of transformation. Ponder this, my friends. This holy cooperation that Mary experienced, and we can too, is the secret sauce. It's the openness to God's plan that comes through with life-changing risk meaning that everything that happens is potentially sacred if we allow it to be. If we can accept that God is in all things, in all situations, and that God does not hesitate to use the common or the broken for good, then everything, everyone, becomes an occasion for grace 
and sacred making. It becomes an occasion to witness God. So let me invite you this evening to ponder one last thing. Don't we get caught up in what we can't do? I'm not enough to this, or I'm not a that, or I'm not a Mary. What if we could just deal with what we can do? Anne Frank put it this way, how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. Ponder the possibility. Are we not a part of the conspiracy of grace which is always possible and readily available? You've seen the breadcrumbs of God's presence in your life, whether we called it that or not. Have you not witnessed the grace of someone letting you into traffic when it was going to be ours? I've experienced pulling up to pick up my coffee and knowing that the person in front of me paid for it and I don't have a clue who they are. A sweet, holy moment. The homeless person that wishes us a blessed day because they know who holds them every day of their risk-filled life the cashier that chases you down because you left your credit card in that restaurant thingy again. <laughs> the biopsy that comes back negative. <gasps> oh, and the family and friends that surround you when it doesn't. the bystander that pulls a child back from an oncoming bus, or the firefighter, officer, or soldier that risks their life, because that's the God spark in them. These are the breadcrumbs that reflect the best of humanity, the God inside of us, the small selfless acts, those sometimes overlooked acts of kindness and grace, that show us what we're capable of. They are the tastes of holiness, the crumbs that whet our appetite for the greater sustenance of all, the promise of peace, trust, love, hope, and joy. I'd like to invite you tonight and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the day after that one, would you ponder that God's plan always was to be born in you? And that to risk cooperation with God is to see and experience things, all things as sacred, and filled with God-sized potential. And then we, like Mary, can do what we can do. And when we do it, 
I dare to suggest that it would keep Christmas burning in our hearts long past the days when the last lights have been turned off and the decorations packed away. Christ in you, Christ in me, Christ for the gift of the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. The seventh lesson from Matthew chapter 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I might always go and pay so I might always go also go and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Will the ushers come forward as we prepare to sing Silent Night?
Would you join me in our benediction? Ours is the story of Jesus, a baby who brought peace, trust, joy, and hope into the world. May starlight fill you as you witness his birth. May promise fill your days as you leave and wonder. Now share the good news, Christ is born. Amen.